1: and this is the Living Free program. Thank our uh, Ruminations, for another great show um, highlighting issues around homelessness in Melbourne. Uh, my name's Bill, and for the next hour, my guests will be talking about alcoholism and the family disease. I'd like to welcome Celeste and Jenny to the 3CR studio this afternoon. Hi.
2: Hi.
1: Hi, Bill. Um, they're members of Al-Anon Family Groups, and they're going to share their experience of living with alcoholism and how Al-Anon helps them. Um, so usually we we start the format um talking about how we came in contact with alcoholism and sort of about you know growing up and you know what what sort of things attracted us to um to the alcoholic. So um Celeste what was how did you meet the alcoholic?
2: Oh I was young and I moved into a house and then a little while later uh, a chap moved in and I didn't know, but he turned out to be an alcoholic, so that was my introduction.
0: Right.
1: <laughs> so um what how did you uh how were you attracted to the alcoholic?
2: I think he was there and we just sort of clicked and uh he had a sort of understanding. I felt that he understood me. So that was a nice thing to have when someone feels that they understand you. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Okay. Um So when did you realise that his drinking was different to other people?
2: I don't think I actually did realise. I was told by one of the other guys in the house, it was about this time of year, you know, just before Christmas, a lot of drinking going on, and one of the other guys in the house said, oh, you know, he might have a drinking problem. And I defended him, of course, because I couldn't be with someone who had a drinking problem and he said, I think he's an alcoholic. And I said, well, I don't. And he said, well, I bet he is. <laughs> and I said, well, I bet he's not. So I thought, right, I'll fix you. I want to win this bet. So I called AA and said, you know, this guy's drinking this much and also drugging. I didn't know about the drugging till later on. And they usually go hand in hand Um, with some people, not always. And um, the person that was manding the phone, AA, said, well, look, he probably is, but there's something for you and perhaps you'd like to go to Al-Anon. And I thought, oh, you know, oh, my... So he's an alcoholic, so I lost the bet. (laughs) And I thought, oh, damn. And the next thing is I... Lost the bet, but I had a wonderful life after that.
1: Right. Okay. Um, so did you – you said earlier to me that, that you wanted to save him. So you had this, this feeling that there was something wrong, but you couldn't really identify what it was. But you, you felt he was special and needed, needed support.
2: Oh, he needed saving, and I was the one to do it because everyone was saving something. They were saving the whales, and they were saving trees. And I thought, well, I better save something, and I wasn't sure what. And so he came along, and so I thought I better save him.
0: Right.
1: Okay, Um, Jenny. What was your introduction to the alcoholic? How did you How did you meet?
0: I met the alcoholic through a friend. And the alcoholic was very exciting, and I was attracted to him because he had this excitement about him and this spontaneity and this uh, he would uh, yeah he was he he was exciting
1: <laughs> yeah yeah, I think most alcoholics because alcoholics are mainly sensitive people,
0: mm. they
1: like other people involved as well, so did he try and involve you? straight away. Right.
0: Yeah. Kept me hooked in straight away, paid me a lot of attention. Um wanted to come over to my house, um all sorts of things. And and of course I was um I was had my own neediness. So he was he started to feel that straight away because he was paying me attention. Right. Yeah.
1: Okay. Um so would you consider it a normal relationship?
0: No, now, looking back, definitely not no there was there was none of the um there was none of the normal court or the you know what i what I think is normal there was no courting, there was no you know let's take it slowly, let's do this, let's do that there was none of that. It was like straight in head first, yeah, and right. before long we were living together, okay. So,
1: yeah. Uh, so did you find that he um, he was meeting your expectations or...?
0: Well, originally, um, originally I didn't have any expectations. I just wanted to make him happy. So I just wanted to do whatever it was that he would want so that he was happy and that he would be happy to stay. So, but... Uh, Looking back now, yeah there were a lot of expectations that went um, that that I had that were unrealistic and a lot that were never going to be um, they were never going to be met because having an under, having an understanding now um, those expectations probably cannot be met
1: yeah um, so um, did you Did you find yourself becoming, I guess, more relaxed in the relationship or less?
0: Definitely less. Less. Because what goes along with alcoholism uh, is, you know, like to keep... So that the alcoholic can drink happily, they... Well, the person that I'm with had to point the finger at me as I was doing something wrong... So that he could drink, and so it became a very negative relationship, and um, I was always trying to to do things right, and so I probably became a nervous wreck, and to be honest with you, even buying a loaf of bread got difficult because he was going to criticise no matter what I did, but yeah. I did learn that it didn't matter what I did, there would always be something. So that changed for me later down the track.
1: Yeah, it's the damned if you do, damned if you don't.
0: Exactly, exactly.
1: Yeah, Yeah, uh, it is a difficult situation. It's um, because you're trying to please someone and they're not able to be pleased because they need to be able to justify, to, to transfer the guilt to justify their own, Feeling good, yeah. Yes. Um so um Celeste, how did you how did it progress for you before you thought something needed to change? How far downhill did it go in your I guess by this stage you were married, were you? No. No, I not yet. Right. Okay. So how how did that progress towards you? Know, The marriage.
2: Um, Well, there wasn't a marriage, and what happened is, um, it he was he became violent, and I was not going to accept that, and so there was a an episode where he was violent, and that's how it ended. Um, That relationship ended then, Um, but I was fortunate that I was already in Al-Anon at that stage, and so. I knew what to do and uh, I had an intervention order and um, and that was the end of it. So it had to progress to a very dangerous stage before I could see how seriously this person was affected by alcoholism.
1: Right. Yeah. yeah. So so what brought you into Al-Anon then?
2: Well, the... Um, because I'd lost the bet, and the and uh-huh. the yeah. the uh, AA um, person that was manding the phone said, "Go to Alanon." So, well, he didn't say go to Alanon. He suggested that Alanon may help me, which is, mm. which it did. And so, I at this stage thought this person I could still help this person and save this person because remember I'm a savior. So, I started to go to Alanon, and then. My life changed from there, yeah
1: so how did you how did you find Alan on then? what was the they suggested you go, but did you did they take you to a meeting or
2: No, no, I think I can't remember. Um, it was a while ago. Uh, I think I just looked it up in the um,
1: in the old yellow pages pages right? at that <laughs> stage
2: or or maybe they did tell me, and uh, I thought, well, I better go. So I went to the meeting, yeah. and I, at this stage, uh, I'd lost a lot of self-esteem. I couldn't be anywhere on time, and I wanted to be a good student. You know, I didn't know what this Eleanor thing was, um, and so I got there early. And the women that were coming into these meeting, men and women, were all happy. They were extremely happy and I thought, oh, my God. And they're married to them and they're living with them and, <laughs> oh, my God, I just – I hadn't seen a bunch of people that happy for so long and I was extremely miserable. I had a lot of low self-esteem. I couldn't make decisions. Um, things were pretty grim.
1: Right. Um. So how did you – most most people, when they come to Alan or any twelve step group, um, identify with others through shared, you know, shared stories. I guess so. Could you do that with with other people? Could you identify your situation with other stories?
2: I think what I identified with was that they, the part that sort of impressed me most, is these people were happy, and that. They they were sharing sort of things on, you know, drinking and violence was one thing or drinking and drugging. So I had a an idea that I was in the right place right, right from the beginning. So there was – people would be saying their story and what happened in their situation and they would think, oh, that's happening to me too. So I thought, oh, I'm in the right place here.
1: Right. Okay. Um, Jen, how did you um – find Alanon helped with understanding alcoholism
0: well <clears throat> uh, it it took me a while but um but I you know like we recognize now that alcoholism is a disease well, I did not want to recognize that so um, initially no I I didn't want any of that. I just I just wanted to know how to stop my husband drinking. That's all I wanted to know when I first went there. And when people were telling me that it was a disease, I did not believe that. You know, I wouldn't accept that. In fact, it probably it took me a long time to really, really truly start to see that it could be a disease. Now I see it as a disease, but not initially. I kicked and screamed and shouted. Because I didn't want a disease like this in my family. I wanted it to stop. But it wasn't going to stop. So going to the meetings and hearing my story and my life come out of other people just about blew my mind. In fact, the very I'll never forget the very first meeting that I went to. And we have um, a little orangey coloured book called Courage to Change. It's a daily reader book. And I'll never forget seeing that book go round to people, and if they wanted to read, they could read. And I thought that the person that introduced me to Alanon must have told all these people that I was coming. <laughs> That's how important I was. And um, and so they were saying things that were, that I was relating to like crazy. Um, and uh, so yeah, that 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 was a good thing for me because that. That is what kept pulling me back when I didn't want to come to Al-Anon.
1: Right. Uh, you were saying earlier that you, when you first came, you felt you thought al might have been a cult when your friend told yes. you about it. Yes, yes. Um, so what was your first impression coming in?
0: I was waiting for the basket. And funnily enough, you know, <laughs> there is a basket, but it's a completely different context. Um, yeah, I, I thought that I was going to a cult. And I think it's so confusing when you first come into a Al Anon meeting, you're hearing different language, you're you're identifying yeah, you, there's so many emotions that um that just taking all that in was was enough. And nobody had said that I was coming. It's just that there's common there's a common common thread through the lives when people have been mixed up with the family disease. So um, I discovered that after about five years that my dad was also an alcoholic. Okay. And I, I had no idea, not a clue, that that was the case. And because my dad had died, I almost felt like it was wrong that I should be even saying that. There are there are what we call adult children in Al-Anon, and they're just people like me. I'm I'm an adult child as well as a wife of, and I used to think, gee, I identify with these people saying all this stuff about their upbringing and and yeah. When I looked at it closely, yeah, my as far as I am concerned, my dad was an alcoholic. Everything that that other people have you know speak about was what was what had happened in my childhood, and so so there was another element and um so I started putting pieces of a puzzle together in Elanon for me which which was a good thing
1: yeah, did you find that it helped you understand um alcoholism as as a disease as a family disease, having grown up in it and not being aware that it was a problem
0: yes, yes, and in fact. I could, you know, in my immediate family and then in my extended family, yes, I could see a lot of behaviours that used to go on behind the scenes in at or at parties or barbecues or things, out would come behaviours, which I think we, I used to think were normal, that's just my family, but it's actually, I learnt that it was a very dysfunctional family with a lot of craziness in it. And I put that down to alcoholism, the family disease. It got its tentacles around everybody, and um, yeah. But but ultimately, for me, it it's helpful because now I can think, oh right, okay, it's time to leave. Say if I'm at a barbecue and and there's unacceptable behaviour going on, screaming, yelling, whatever it is, I can just learn to say be nice, say goodbye. Kiss everyone goodbye and leave. I don't have to sit and listen to a lot of that stuff anymore. I can what we call detach, which is one of our many wonderful tools that we learn in Al-Anon.
1: Yeah. Plus the other thing is you don't have to make a scene. You don't have to do anything special. You can just leave. Exactly. Yeah.
0: yeah. Exactly. Where where other members of the family, it would have been a drama, and that's the stuff that goes on. But drama doesn't happen. In people's lives that aren't touched by this they just decide to leave and yeah. they're allowed to leave <laughs> get on with their life that's right <laughs> yes okay
1: listen we might take a break there welcome back to living free show on 3cr uh, 855 kilohertz on your am dial and 3cr on your digital radio Uh, We now have um, 17 episodes of Living Free available on podcast. Uh, They're on the Living Free webpage, which is 3cr.org.au forward slash Living Free, and also available on iTunes. Uh, I'll be progressively including our earlier shows, as time permits, as well. There's also plenty of great podcasts of other 3CR shows available, so if you just go to 3cr.org.au forward slash podcasts, if you have a question or comment about the show, send us an email on 3crlivingfree at gmail.com or you can call the radio station on 9419 8377 and leave a message for us. Um, we've got two more shows this month before our summer break starts. Uh, the last shows on the 21st of December, 2017. And on the 4th of January, we're having a special show of um, Living Free with Overeaters Anonymous before we resume full production on the 25th of January 2018 Um, I'm joined in the studio today by Celeste and Jenny and we're talking about alcoholism and the family disease and how Alaron family groups helped Um, so I guess um, Celeste what was it like you know coming in to al and then realising your dad was an alcoholic that you hadn't realised before, how did that, you know, like, like Jenny, it, it gives you a, a different perspective, I guess. Um, so looking back, what, what was it like realising that you actually grew up in an alcoholic family yourself?
2: I think I was very surprised at the layer of denial I had. I had no idea and yet there was a lot of drinking going on. But my father was what they call a bender drinker. So he didn't drink every day. So he would drink on the weekends. So he belonged to a club. And uh, so Friday and Saturday nights were watch out. Oh. Um, and we knew watch out and there was a lot of tension in the home. But I hadn't realised the degree of of that. And I... It took me a few years now and on to understand that I'd grown up with this family disease and also how the family was affected. So in one thing, my father would, you know, strike an argument with my mother. Then that would be on because she'd react to him. Then the dynamics of that between my brothers and myself would sort of be all heightened and nervous and worried. Um... So that sort of behaviour went on, and then the underlying behaviour of that was, for me, and probably myself and brothers, a sense of not knowing what to do next, Um, a sense of oh, this isn't good. Uh, What should we do? And that sort of walking on eggshells, and oh, um, you know, just just the whole tension and trying to make everything look right yeah and but it wasn't right yeah. and so that's that's a that's a double act to, to try and do that so it was surprising to see that I'd grown up in this family disease and yet I still didn't know how much it affected me growing up and how much it affected my adult decisions. I had no idea So looking back I think wow, there was a lot to survive. There was a lot to survive um, uh you know, just you know driving drunk, driving, that sort of thing um uh, you know slamming doors. It never occurred to me who drank all the beer bottles lined up on the side of the house <laughs> yeah, it d- It just didn't occur to me um, and I sort of liked my father when he had a few drinks because I, as a little kid, I used to be able to. Drink the froth off his beer, and I used to think that was great. And I used to th- sit on his knee, and you know, he w- he was you know happy in some ways, and then other ways he wouldn't be very happy, and then it'd be game on, mm. and uh, you know, you just had to duck. Yeah,
1: yeah, I, I think it's uh, the anxiety that you're living with is probably the thing that I remember most. You know, growing up with an alcoholic dad, um, and yeah, we had the line of bottles along the along the house as well. And the bottle, I would come along and take them away. and <laughs> yeah, Those things don't happen anymore. But, um, yeah, I think it was just this sense that you didn't know what was going to happen next. It could... It was never going to be smooth, though. You knew it wasn't going to be smooth. You just didn't know what it was going to be. Yeah. Um, so, Jenny, um, realising that you grew up in an alcoholic family as well, so... When did you realise your part in the family disease and how did, how did that affect you?
0: Can I just say firstly that I had the bottles as well <laughs> <laughs> and I'd forgotten about that, which is quite funny. Um, I think the question was...
1: Oh, I just, just realised, you know, your part you realizing that as as yep. the family we we play a part in the the family disease of alcoholism because we're the we're not the protagonist but we're the antagonist we we make it worse you know
0: yes well i know that uh, i was probably married at this stage and i'd be doing i'd be doing something in the kitchen and um there'd be criticism because they go hand in hand with the disease, criticism and telling you how to do it and control and all that. And um so I'd you know, I'd answer back or not answer back like I'm a naughty child, but I'd respond and not always kindly and so I learnt in Al Anon to shut my mouth. And I couldn't believe what happened because it stopped. Like, whatever I was doing, whatever was happening, I was adding fuel to the fire. Mm. And so now I could say I could keep an argument going for as long as I wanted to, whereas in Al-Anon I've I've learnt to grow up and to be an adult, and um, now I uh, I can stop and walk away. And it's that simple, and that that was quite a surprise, because I thought that I always had to defend myself and what I was doing, so I had to respond. That's the way I looked at it. I grew up with that, I grew up with parents that fought like cat and dog, they just fought nobody really was going to stop it you know and it and it you know screaming, yelling, throwing saucepans. I can remember my mum throwing saucepans very clearly I can I can sort of see it but the interesting thing was like I loved my dad I adored my dad it was my mum that that I had the issues with I didn't have issues really with my dad but my mum was so unhappy and miserable and my dad was like jovial and you know and we 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 as kids always wanted mum to would she just not say anything would she just not do this don't do that Cause that'll upset Dad. So I was doing that as a young kid, not having any idea. But of course, my mum didn't have the capability to do that, cause she had her own dysfunctional life prior to, prior to having a family. So now I can see like generations of it, and um, and how as a as a younger kid, you know, I was always told that I was a know all and a busybody and um. And trying to control everything. And, yeah, I was because it was all uncontrollable.
1: It was all out of control. It was
0: all out of control. So you just instinctively take that on when you're a kid, which is – and if you don't know what it is, as you grow up, well, you continue – well, I continued a lot of those sort of ways of being until I could see that they didn't serve me well. And I had to start learning different ways. And that's thanks to Al-Anon. I learned totally different ways to react to family, friends, the alcoholic, whoever.
1: Yeah, I, I found a similar thing that um, I didn't have to respond mm. to, to what somebody said. I always, in the alcoholic, you know, growing up in an alcoholic home, I always felt I had to say something. I had to correct the situation. I had to win the battle. And, you know, you end up winning the battle and losing the war. It was, you know, exactly. shocking, shocking sort of thing. So, um, Celeste, what, uh, you know, the the low self-esteem that as you come into Al-Anon, so what's it like being able to sort of lift yourself out of that? Because in Al-Anon you learn a lot more about yourself and you become a bit more self-reliant.
2: Mm, that's true. I... Um that the change is quite remarkable although it takes a long time and um you know just the other day you know things would happen say at work and um i wouldn't be paid for a day they you know, made it what i could consider an honest mistake but i i never felt like oh you know i, I you know i have to go to hr and say look you know you've skipped a, a day of my pay here now i do it without thinking you know it's may seem small but for me, it's quite big. Um, little things like that. Now I know what I like. Uh, back then, I had no idea what I like. If someone said, what's your favourite colour? I had no idea. Now I know what it is. <laughs> um, what would you like to do? Oh, I'll do whatever you want to do because mm-hmm. I can't make yeah. a decision. So when you come to Ellen all those things change. And they, you know, just going out to a restaurant, looking at a menu... Oh, what would you like? Oh, I'll have the same thing as you had. Now, I know that I want a Caesar salad.
1: <gasps> yeah. <laughs>
2: <laughs> and I want a coffee latte and I'd like it hot, please. Yeah. So I know what I like, you know, and my interests. Now I know what I'm interested in. You know, I used to really admire Americans. They'd say, oh, you know, I'm good at this and I like doing that. And I had no idea what I was good at or what I liked doing. So little by little, when your self-esteem increases – You come to know yourself more. So you know the things that are good for you. You know, for instance, my diet's changed. Sleeping can be still a problem. I probably should, could, would like to get a little bit more sleep. Um, And I believe that's part of the anxiety that, oh, you know, I just better keep awake a bit longer here just in case something happens. Um, Now I'm able to sleep better, know what I like. Um, you know, I don't have to win the battle. you know there's a thing about would you rather be happy? Or would you rather be right? I think I just wanna be right and happy, <laughs> so i you know I want it both mm-hmm. um but if it's if it's um if it's too hard, I just let that person have their thing, and I go on you know, and is it going to really destroy my day if they're you know to let them have their argument, not really. So it's those sort of things that have changed for me. Um, you know, how how I want to spend my day. I would never ask myself that before. I would just, you know, wake up and go through the motions. Now I think, how would I want to spend my day, you know, and what's, what's a reasonable amount of work, you know, just even housework or gardening, whether before I would have to get the job done. Mm. For some reason I'd have to, you know, just get it to the ends and I'd be exhausted and then I'd be resentful that I wasn't getting any help. And now I think oh you know I'll do an hour of that and stop and have a cup of tea. I never used to sit down and have a break. You know even in your own home. Yeah. I find that quite incredible. You know if someone said to me, you know I've been working in the garden 4 hours non-stop I'd say whoa that's a bit
1: that's excessive
2: yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and I'd say don't you need a break? <laughs> well, or, you know, knowing me, I'd probably march out there with a cup of tea and make them have a break. Yeah. But um, I don't – before, I never used to do that to, for myself, but now I will.
1: Yeah, it's it's a lot easier to see in others what we should do ourselves. Um, yeah, but doing it for ourselves is, is quite hard. Mm, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. You're listening to Living Free on 3CR, on digital radio and live streaming on 3cr.org.au forward slash streaming. Uh, I'm talking with Celeste and Jenny from Al-Anon Family Groups, and we're talking about alcoholism and the family disease and how a program like Al-Anon can help you live uh, with an alcoholic or live around alcoholics. Um, so one of the things, um, Celeste, I was going to mention to you was um, in Al-Anon they talk about detachment. So do you want to talk about how detachment what it is and how you sort of use it in your life?
2: Mm, This is something I never thought I could do and I didn't know what it was. Um, My idea of detachment before al was just leave the room or slam the door and leave the room or something. And I didn't realise you can just, you know, detach from an argument. Just don't get involved. Very simply put um just be quiet don't say anything don't answer back just you know those aha uh-huh moments you know aha uh-huh. and you know sometimes it still happens in our kitchen today and I'm not um with an alcoholic and the person wants it done a certain way and I want it done a certain way and I will just say when I'm in the kitchen I'll do it my way and when you're in the kitchen, you can do it your way. It's our kitchen. So that sort of thing. Um, just, you know, I just, I would never knew you could not respond. Um, in my home, I was brought up fairly strictly. And so it was either don't answer back or speak up. So it was very confusing, you know. So... Um, That idea of detaching is very much a peacemaking idea. Um, I find myself arguing and being argumentative very exhausting. I find it emotionally draining. And um, I find alcoholism is an emotional disease that doesn't make sense. So if I'm engaging in something that doesn't make sense, I'm not making sense to myself either.
1: Yep. (laughs) Okay. Um, So, Jenny, one of the other things that we were talking about earlier was um, not making the situation worse. And I think coming to Al-Anon, I always made the situation worse because I felt I had to do something in response to the alcoholic. Mm. So what's your take on all that?
0: Yes. And the... I always, I I was always fighting for my like I suppose treading water and um and feeling as though I have to explain, you know, I have to keep saying it until this person understands what I'm saying. Yet, you know, we've got many they call them slogans in Al Anon and one of them is um what somebody else thinks of me is none of my business and therefore what somebody else thinks of the way I'm chopping the vegetables is none of my business. I can just turn off it 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 is easier said than done but practice if you practice I'm not saying that I'm perfect because I'm far from perfect but I'm certainly much better at it than what i was i don't I don't have to have the last word i don't I don't have to. Keep saying it like they say that um, if you say things more than twice or three times, you're trying to control the situation, so I don't have to keep going because I know I'm dealing with it in this in my case, an adult, and they have heard me whether they choose to him to to take it in well that's not my business, yep, so that's the end, whereas in days gone by. I would be walking around the Coles supermarket. I'd leave the house. I'd storm out. I'd drive off in a fit. And the only place to go late at night is the supermarkets. And I can remember walking around the supermarkets um, trying to figure out what I was going to do, waiting for, at at that time, my alcoholic to pass out and go to bed. But uh, I don't do that now. And I I wouldn't do that now anyway because I've learnt to look after myself. So I've learnt to go to bed and just, you know. Live your life, yeah. Live my life, which, yeah, I've got a great life now. Yeah. The other
1: one is respect. I I found that once I respected the alcoholic's right to be an alcoholic, to do alcoholic Mm. things, that I got my own life back, that I, I I could see they had a problem. They had a problem with drink. But I had, I had a problem with the way I thought about how they should live their life. And once I took my focus off the alcoholic and onto my own life, I realised that there was lots of things I could do about my life that I wasn't doing. Yes. And I think that's the, that to me was the kicker. that I had to do something. I was responsible.
0: Yes, yes. And the same for me. Like um, My life was, was well and truly going down the gurgler back years ago with the drinking and uh I just I just let let it all go and um so if anyone is listening I'd like to tell you how I started and I started taking care of myself by buying uh, a cake of dove soap because I you know the disease um one of the uh, what do you call it I don't know but anyway not taking care of myself so I loved Dove soap yet in the days where the where there was a lot of drinking I couldn't afford the Dove soap or I made an excuse as to why I couldn't afford it because we had to do this with it or that that with it so anyway I decided I learned in al to buy the Dove soap because it made me feel good and it made me feel nice so I had to I had to learn to take care of myself by something so small as buying a really nice cake of soap that I loved. And from there, I just, now I build, I build on that. And now I'm not prepared to let those things go. Now I've learnt how to take care of myself. And it's not that I should, because um, we've got, um, you know, I've got many friends in Al-Anon, but, you know, we say we should not should on ourselves. There's too many shoulds. So I say I could and so I do. I could buy many cakes of dove soap, which I do have, and it it's a good reminder of where I've come from.
1: Yeah, good. Thank you. Yeah. Celeste?
2: One of the things for me, um, I had to sort of really discipline myself and I wasn't going to wear any holy underwear um, mm. or any T-shirts with holes in them. And just recently I've had some... Um, oh, I don't know, bugs um, in the wardrobe and they've gone through a couple of T-shirts. And I went, oh, you said you'd never wear holy T-shirts. And so I think, oh. And now I've sort of said, oh, I'll keep them for the garden. I said, no, in the bin. So I think, to be honest, I think I've got one there that's got a hole in it that's for the garden, but I'm definitely not going to wear that out. And it was those sort of things that build self-esteem, you know, looking after yourself and sometimes it's from the outside in and sometimes it's from the inside out but for me i had to start by what i was wearing i had to like it uh it had to suit me um and it also had to be clean and with no (laughs) holes
1: okay um the other one is as you're talking about buying things, but I think being good to ourselves it come in lots of little ways and I think buying the essentials for us is an important start. So, you know.
2: You're right. And I actually, when things were very bad, I used to think that I could buy my happiness and I wasn't buying essentials. I was buying things that look good or things with a label on it because I felt that if I had something with a label on it, then that would tell everyone else out there that was looking at me, which they weren't. Um, yeah, they weren't. But uh, so that reflected that I had something. You know, I had low self-esteem and I had, but I had a label on my T-shirt. I mean, how does that work? Um, usually it doesn't. So then, um, you know, when you feel good on the inside, you don't need to buy something to wear on the outside. Sometimes it's nice. I'm not saying I don't like nice things. And, you know, And that was the other thing um, I learned, that every Christmas and birthday I would buy myself a present that, you know, I liked. And I heard this once actually on the radio saying, then that way you're never disappointed. Yeah. I thought, right. <laughs> Thank you.
1: <laughs> well, sometimes you are if it doesn't live up to expectations, but <laughs> less likely to be disappointed. <laughs> yes. Um, So what what sort of thing would you tell somebody who's considering doing something about living with an alcoholic? Like what are the things that, that made you take notice and think you should change, you know, should do something different?
2: I just met a young woman this morning and I had met her a while ago and she told me about her situation, about living with the disease, the family disease of alcoholism. And I said to her, you know... You might like Al Go, you know, they say to try at six meetings. Um, I was fortunate my first meeting I, I was I knew I was in the right place, but it is it is um it is different. Um and I encourage this young girl to go and I just saw her this morning and the change in that girl and I think that's what I love when you see people, you know, in their faces they're so stressed, so distraught. And then you say, "Look, you know, perhaps Alanon could help you." And they go, and they just bloom—men and women. Y- you can see it. So, if someone was walking my path today, I'd say, "You may like to try Alanon. It has really helped me have a life, and a lot of people I know have a life—a good life."
1: Yeah, and the, I guess the other thing too is that today, alcohol and drugs are sort of intermixed, whereas when I was a kid. You know very few people use drugs, it was mainly alcohol, but now there's a lot of mixture. and a lot of people don't really see, see the difference um, and often alcohols are transition into drugs, and often it's the other way around. But I, I guess for people who are in alcohol drug issues, then 12-step programs can help them stop obsessing about the, the well-being of the alcoholic and start looking at their well-being. So Jen, what what's your take?
0: Yes, well, yeah, because that's exactly what I did. I, it was just all about the well-being of the alcoholic. That's what you mean. yeah. Mm. it was all about it was all about the alcoholic in my life. It wasn't about me. Now I've turned it around. It's all about me. <laughs> <laughs> it's all about me and And I go, "Oh, well, <laughs> I'm going to go anyway, because there's a lot of things that I stopped doing. I stopped going places. I I was a very social person in my 20s and I became a very isolated person. But now I've gone back to being a very social person because I, I understand that I have only been given one life and I can make good choices now. What somebody else does, unfortunately, is their life. And um, apart from not being responsible for it, that is their life. And if I... If, and, yeah, so if I continue to focus on somebody else's life, my own life is just ticking away. And so I want it to be great, which is, which is what I get from al I get all the tools for good living and all the tools to learn how to look after myself. And so, yeah, I, I would say to anybody, please go to al I'm on the phone roster and I say to people, please, please just go to one meeting and then hopefully from there... You know, the um, what whatever they decide to do is up to them. But yeah. if you go to one meeting, mm-hmm. well, <clears throat> then you've been exposed to it.
1: Yeah, um, yeah, I guess yeah, that's sort of the issue that a lot of people choose Al- not to go to Al after they've been mm. because either they decide they don't want to be with the alcoholic anymore, you know, yeah. therefore the problem solved yeah. <laughs> in theory, um, or they think they'll do it themselves, um, and that's yeah. There are many ways, but yeah, I, I think it it's certainly benefited me. It's given me back my life, which is yeah, and that's the important part. Yeah. Sure is Bill. Yeah. Celeste, would you like to say anything before we close?
2: I think your point there on um drug and alcohol is interesting because I've had women come up to me and say, Oh, but you know, my son, he's, i don't know about on for me because he only takes drugs, <laughs> mm-hmm. and I couldn't pretty much be sure if he only takes drugs. He's probably having a few drinks with those drugs, so you know if that's your situation, try almon because usually f- you'll find they have a dual substance use, so they'll do alcohol and drugs together. Um, what would I say in conclusion? Um, it's a wonderful wonderful way to live. It gives me focus for a better life. Um, if I didn't have al in my life I wouldn't be like a ship without a rudder. I'd be going from one thing to the next because my concentration was shot and you know I'd just be jumping all over the place. My anxiety would be through the roof. I think that's one of the effects of the disease. You said that you know that people won't come back because you know the alcoholics left them I don't think they'll realise what the alcoholics left them with.
1: Yeah. yeah.
2: You know the the ongoing <clears throat> factors of you being affected by someone else's drinking are enormous.
1: Yeah. Okay. Thank you very much. Um, it's now time to close. Uh, so um, if you're interested in contacting Alan on family groups, uh, if you think Alan could help you, then you can phone them on one three hundred. 252 or go online to aleron.org.au That's all we've got time for today, so I'd like to thank Celeste and Jenny for coming in today and sharing their Aleron Family Group recovery experience with us. Thank you.
2: Thank you, Bill. Thank you, Bill.
1: Uh, I hope you'll be able to join us again next week when we'll be talking about recovery from a gambling addiction and we'll be joined by some members of Gamblers Anonymous. Uh, Thanks for listening to Living Free Program, but stay tuned for Black Noise Radio, hosted by Kerry Lee and featuring black news and views, current affairs, music, sport, culture and the arts, all from an Aboriginal woman's perspective.